Hey, I'm Terry Molinero, and I believe that we as the body of Christ are here for such a time as this. I love to say this, blessed to be a blessing, that we are called to be a light. And look, friends, if we don't do it, if we aren't the light, who's gonna be the light? The body of Christ has always been a house of action. And hey, who says we can't have some fun along the way? Terry, it's Ryan Seacrest. You're in broadcast. I'm trying to be in broadcast. There's something in common. Good luck to you at Seacrest House. This is the Church Hacks Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to the Church Acts podcast. I was about to say the Church Acts episode, but no, the uh, the Church Acts podcast, a new episode today. We are calling it Resist the Devil. Why do we need to resist the devil? You know, it's kind of sad too. Uh, so many people don't even realize that there is actual forces to resist. And then they, uh, they wonder why they end up getting into so much trouble in their lives. Um, if I don't know something, I know if I don't know, I need to defend myself against something. Um, then, then that has the ability to just, you know, walk all over me, affect me. And I would have, uh, no idea, you know, if I thought that, uh, let's say a certain disease or whatever, like this is normal. This is just what you're supposed to experience. And someone sells me on some lie that this is a side effect and like, it's going to make you feel so much better. But then I neglect dealing with that disease Eventually, guess what? That disease is going to take over my body and it's going to do exactly what it was sent to do, which is to destroy my body. And so what do we do? We become um, knowledgeable. We become informed, no longer ignorant, and uh, we seek out the help that we need. We get the information, we get the medication, the surgery, whatever it is to take that disease out of us. But I feel like so many of us are finding ourselves in situations where we are becoming very frustrated with life and we're finding ourselves in one way or another just discouraged or beaten or um, all this stuff seems to be coming against and we say, man, I, why is this just my life? And then we're dealing with surface issues instead of the root problem, even in the last few weeks. I don't know if you can hear it a little bit, like a, a little bit of shakiness in my voice. It's because it's really sad. Like I am, I'm seeing multiple marriages being destroyed by young people. Listen, I'm 30, right? My wife is 28 and there are people in their twenties. Um, I think maybe like four or five couples in the last year who've gotten divorced Christian couples. Right. And now I, I get that there are things that happen inside of a relationship, right? I heard of a story recently and, um, you know, it was only because someone was caught, it came out, but someone who was claiming to say, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but they were living a double life and uh, they were messing around with a lot of other people inside of um, uh, inside of their marriage. And uh, I, I was talking to some other people who I'm so bound in their own minds um, because of things like anxiousness. I know other people who were placed in charge of, you know, great organizations and they were just bound by, by depression or, or different things. And once again, back to the beginning of the thing, how are we supposed to be resisting something that we are not even acknowledging is real or can affect us? And I'm not saying become one of these people who are looking for the enemy behind every single what's that saying? Like behind every single door or bush or something like that. But if we are not resisting, if we're not actually standing against, how are we supposed to overcome? Right. And the great news is we can overcome. We can resist. It is literally 
in our DNA. I remember being so discouraged about something, struggling with something in my own life. And I'm sure I've shared this before in the podcast. And uh, this man of God, and he was, uh, he, he came to, to my house and I was talking to him. You know why? Because I perceived faith in this person and I knew there, there's, I knew that he knew God, right? There's a difference between people who are just, they know about God. Like, oh yeah, like these are the facts and I can recite these verses. But it's another thing when you encounter someone who you know has a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I said, listen, this is what I'm going through right now. And I do not know how to overcome this. And this person said, listen, this is happening because the enemy knows what will happen if you're able to like push through this. What would happen if you were on the other side and you were not only able to help other people be set free from certain things, but what happens if you were around and you started spreading this? See, sometimes the enemy has a little bit more faith in you than you even have in yourself. And not only that, he knows what maybe has been spoken about you. And that's why he tries so hard to just keep you bound by so many things, distracted by everything else. Listen, your spouse is not your problem, okay? I know that sometimes it's like, listen, this person is my problem, whatever it is. Your, your workplace, right? These different things, yeah, we might need to address them. And I think it's wise to do that with wisdom. But we are directing all our energy and all our focus on the symptoms of things and letting the root continue to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And if not, sometimes we actually, by dealing with the symptoms, we throw fertilizer on in the form of like bitterness. Oh, I'm just, I'm dealing with these symptoms, but oh, you know, and you're not dealing with the root. So all of a sudden now bitterness is just allowing that to grow and unforgiveness and rage and anger and all these things. And then we wonder why we end up where we are ending up. And we wonder why we look at some people and they're completely overcoming. And we say, Hey, I guess that's just reserved for them. And it's not reserved for me. And that is not true. Listen, the Bible does not put people into categories, overcomers and the ones who, well, I guess they just have to sucks for them, but they're just going to have to suffer throughout life. That is not the case. Listen, we carry the torch now. What are we doing with that responsibility? Not everything is the enemy, and it would be foolish and immature to assume that. But guess what, church? Some things are. Sometimes there really are assignments that have been sent against us. We need wisdom. But then once we have that wisdom, we need to be determined to overcome and get rid of him, which is why today on the podcast, Without further ado, we have from the Relentless series and Messenger International, John Bevere. I hope this blesses you and lights a fire underneath you to overcome and be the man and woman of action that we're all called to be. God bless. Amen, amen, amen. Ah, amen. Well, welcome back to the curriculum taping for Relentless we are in session nine, hard to believe we're already here, and the title of this session is called Resist the Devil. Tonight, I am going to go right back to the Apostle Peter's words where we have been studying and breaking it down line by line by line. And so we are here now in 1 Peter chapter five, and we're down to the eighth and the ninth verse where Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, and he is an adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Don't be one of those whoms. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, he says, be sober and be vigilant. I'm going to cover that at the end of this session if there is time. But I want to go right into the statement of resist him steadfast in the faith. 
he now, Peter now deals directly with the fight. Now, he declares that the devil, and this would include any of his cohorts, are like a lion. Let me tell you this right now for clarification. He is not a lion. He is like a lion. He is called in the scripture a serpent. He is called a dragon. He is called a thief and a few other good choice names God gave him. But he's not called a lion. He is like a roaring lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there is no similarity between Jesus and Satan. But the point that Peter is making here is he is like a lion and a lion prowls about on the lookout for those he can devour and he will do it if given opportunity and he will do it mercilessly. Now, he is a defeated foe, but he's a worthy opponent and should never be taken lightly. He has no affection, no compassion, no mercy, and he has one mission, to kill, steal, and destroy. If you were on the plains of Tanzania, Africa, and you were in the territory of a man-eating lion, you wouldn't casually walk through the region unarmed. If you did, chances are good you wouldn't come out alive, correct? On the contrary, if you're wise, if you'd carry a very powerful rifle and know how to use it, if armed, sober, and alert, you'd remain unharmed. And that's the way it is with us. We got a gun, we got a weapon, he's got none. He's been disarmed, amen? Now, Peter says, resist him. Thayer defines this Greek word as to set oneself against, to withstand, to oppose. Strong's defines it as to stand against. The English dictionary defines it as this, to prevent by action or argument. There is no question this word embodies and conveys aggressive conflict. Once again, listen to Jesus' words of assurance. Behold, exclamation mark, I have given you authority and power over all the power that the enemy possesses, and nothing, nothing shall in any way harm you. Isn't that good? His promise assures us that if you walk in his powerful grace, no one or nothing can harm you. That is significant. However, you have to use the power. Amen. If you don't, the promise will not be in effect for your life, and you can be harmed. That's a good place to say amen. For this reason, Peter charges us to resist him. He doesn't say pray and ask God to remove him. No, you and I are to directly and purposely resist him. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere can you find a scripture that instructs us to ask God to remove the devil. He can't. Huh, John, I can't believe you just said it. He gave the authority in this earth to man. He will not override that authority that he has delegated. He needs you to resist him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the spirits are subject to you in my name. We are the ones that are to take authority on this earth. Who better to learn this from than Jesus? When he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, we have the three accounts at the end of the 40 days where the enemy comes and he begins to tempt Jesus. What did Jesus do? 
Did he pray to the Father and say, Father, get rid of the devil. It is the devil himself that is after me. No. Jesus looked at him and said, it is written. Why does Jesus say it is written? Because the word of God is a sword. It is literally a sword. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see it as such. It is a weapon. It is real. It is more real than the natural. You may have a gun in the natural. You may have a sword in the natural, but it will not be as real and as powerful as what you've got in the spirit. You have the sword of the spirit, that very sword that comes out of Jesus's mouth when he returns to this earth, because once again, he'll be back in this earth to take authority. Hallelujah. Oh, my, 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 my. So you will not find Jesus once asking the father to remove the devil. We are to resist him. Peter says, you resist him. James says, you resist him steadfast in the faith. Several years ago, a pastor came to my office. I'll never forget this as long as I live. This man had been involved in illegal drugs before he came to Jesus. He got gloriously saved. And he and I worked together on the same staff at a very large church in Florida. And I'll never forget watching this man during worship. Literally tears would pour down his face. He was a very godly man, a very kind man, a very good husband. I mean, just a real, real, genuine man of God. And it used to really impact me seeing the tears that would come down when he would think about what Jesus had done to save him and deliver him. And I remember there was a day that came where he came knocking at my door at my office and he came in and we sat down and we started to talk. It was the light chatting for a minute. And then he said, John, I need to talk to you. He said, John, several of the men in my family history have died of heart attacks. They've had real heart problems. And he said, I have been fighting the fear that I'm going to die at a very young age of a heart problem. And he said, this fear is becoming more and more overwhelming. He said, I have been really, really praying about this. He said, John, let me explain it to you like this. I'll be just driving my car down the road and all of a sudden that fear just grips me and I just begin to sweat. And he said, there's times that I will literally cover my clothes with sweat from the fear of dying of a heart attack. He said, I've gone to the doctors. They say I look good so far, but I just can't shake this fear. He said, I have fasted. I have cried out to God. And as soon as he said that, I stopped him. I said, yeah, but have you dealt with it directly? He said, what? I said, you can cry out to God all you want, but God is the one that tells you to resist the spirit of fear. And I said, you know, Ken, and I'm just gonna call him Ken. I said, there are times when the enemy really, really comes against me or my family. And I said, there'll be times where I'm just fed up and I've had it. And I'll go out and find a remote place outside where nobody can hear me. And I said, I lift up my voice and I get really loud because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a fervent prayer that avails much. Are you with me? An effective prayer is a fervent prayer. And I said, I'll go out there and I'll be so angry. I'll say, all right, devil, it's a fight you want. It's a fight you're going to get. But let me remind you right now, I have a weapon and you don't. 
I have the sword and I'm gonna cut you up into little pieces. And if you haven't had enough, when I'm done, I'm gonna cut those little pieces into smaller pieces. But you will flee from me. You don't know how many times I've gone out and prayed that way. And I said, I'll do that. And sure enough, I'll see the results. And so, you know, we talked a little while longer and he left my office. We prayed together and he left. And I remember six months later, there was another knock at my door. And sure enough, it was Pastor Ken again. And he came walking in. I'm going to tell you, he had this heaviness on him. He had this look of gloom on him. And I already knew, oh my goodness, we're not going to have a good report here. And so he walked in, he sat down and I said, what's going on, Kent? And I already knew what the answer was going to be. He said, John, it's worse. It's absolutely worse. I said, what do you mean it's absolutely worse? He said, John, I'm now wrestling with this fear almost on a daily basis. He said, I'll be in the middle of a service and my old suit just gets drenched with sweat from the fear of dying of a heart attack. He said, I will be in my office and all of a sudden it just comes on me. He said, I have been crying out to God like I've never cried out to God before. I have been fasting about this. And I said, yeah, have you gone out and fought the devil like we talked about six months ago? He said, well, no, I've been really crying out to God. I said, Ken, that is the problem. You keep crying out to God and you aren't de dealing directly with the devil. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, his head goes down and he starts withdrawing. And I realize, oh, no, I'm losing him. So I looked inside. I said, Lord, you got to help me really quick. I need help. And I said to him, I said, hey, Ken, God gave me this example. I said, can you imagine one of our boys or girls at a war, let's say it was in Iraq, okay? And I said, they're in a manhole and they're being fired upon by the enemy. And they get on the phone and they call the President of the United States because he is the commander in chief of all the armed forces of America. And I said, they get on the phone and they call the White House and they go, Mr. President, the enemy is shooting at me. They're actually closing in. They are firing at me. They're gonna kill me. I said, what do you think the President's gonna say to that soldier? He's gonna say, hey, we gave you the finest training in the world. We gave you the best weaponry in the whole world. We have given you the authority of the American government. Now shoot him. <laughs> when I said that to him, all of a sudden his eyes registered it. He realized. Oh my, I said, you have got to be the one that resists the devil. You have got to be the one that uses the sword. And he looked at me and he got it. And I knew he got it. He walked out of my office. Three weeks later, he came skipping into my office. He had a spark in his voice, a twinkle in his eye. And I'm like going, okay, what's going on? And I said, what's going on, Ken? Pastor Ken, tell me about it. He said, John, you got to hear what happened on Sunday. I said, what happened? He said, my wife and I were driving to service. And he said, the thing hits me again. And I start sweating profusely on the inside of my suit. And he said, all of a sudden, I got so angry. And I started remembering the words that you spoke to me. And he said, you know, my wife has no idea what's going on. She's completely oblivious to what's going on. He said, all of a sudden, I got so angry. I slammed my fist on the dashboard of our car. He said, my wife about went through the ceiling when I did because she has no idea what's going on. And he said, devil, I've had it. And he said, I started quoting the word. And he said, John, when I slammed my fist down on that dashboard, he said, I had a vision. I had a vision. 
He said, I saw in my spirit Jesus seated on the throne. And when I pounded my fist down and said, devil, I've had it. I saw Jesus do this. Yes! As if to say, I have been waiting for you to do this. He's never had problems with that again. Today, he pastors a very large church in the southern part of the United States, and he's still alive 25 years later. Amen. Let's look a little closer at Peter's words. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast. Everybody say, steadfast. Steadfast. Say it again. If you recall, the word steadfast is a synonym of relentless. Now, this is where I find many lose the fight. The Bible doesn't teach if we resist the enemy once, he's forbidden to come back and try again. No, quite the opposite. He can try again and again and again. I've learned from experience, this is where many get discouraged and experience defeat. And what they think is, well, I guess it doesn't work, or I must not have what it takes. That's a lie. Let me tell you another story. My wife, when she was a little baby, had something called colic. What is colic? Colic is when babies just scream, cry for hours every day. Usually happens about when they're three months old, and it can last anywhere from a month to two months to even in some cases three months. Doctors still don't know what the cause is, but they say it's just an undeveloped digestion system. So they just go through this excruciating pain. When Addison was born, our firstborn son, when he was about three months old, he started crying. And I mean screaming. And nothing could comfort him. Lisa would take him, hold him, do everything. So finally, I just take him and I just put him in my arms and I just start praying over him. And I just start praying in the spirit as loud as I could. And sure enough, he'd fall asleep. Well, this went on day after day after day. And finally, after about 10 days, two weeks, one night Lisa and I were getting ready for bed. I actually was in bed. I think I was reading or just lying there waiting on her. And she was in the master bath taking off her uh, makeup. And um, all of a sudden we hear this blood curling scream coming from the nursery. I thought, oh boy, here we go again. So I just swung out of the bed. I said, honey, I'll take care of it. And I, I glanced at the digital alarm clock beside our bed, and it said 12, 11 a.m. And I remember walking into his nursery, picked him up, commanded that thing to leave him, started praying in the spirit, and he fell asleep within about 10 minutes. Next night, Lisa and I are both in bed. All of a sudden, another blood curling scream comes out of the nursery. I looked at Lisa, I said, here we go again. So I got out of bed. When I'm getting out of bed, I look at the digital alarm clock sitting beside my bed, 12, 11 a.m. Thought coincidence. So I go into the nursery, pick him up, command that thing to leave, start praying in the spirit. Sure enough, he goes to sleep. Third night, Lisa's taking off her makeup. I'm in bed. Another blood curling scream comes from the nursery. I said, oh boy. So I turned, got out of bed, and I did a double take. The digital alarm clock said 12, 11 a.m. I got so angry. I went storming into my dear son's nursery. 
and I will never in my entire life forget what happened. I didn't pick him up this time. I looked down into that crib and there was literally fire in these eyes. Because I'm gonna tell you something, I had an awareness somebody else was looking through these eyes. It was the Holy Spirit. And I, with such authority and such strength, looked down, put my hands on his chest, and I said, you foul spirit of infirmity and colic, get away from my son. I break this curse that has been upon Lisa's family, and I command you to leave him and never return. Now listen, you would think that would terrify a child. He looked at me with the sweetest eyes and fell right to sleep. And he never had problems with it again. Now, let me tell you what I went through. The first night the scream came, the thoughts are bombarding my mind. See, John, your prayers don't work. You've been praying him for 10 days, two weeks like this. The second night, you are doing him no good. You have no power in your prayers. Your prayers are not effective. The third night, why do you even bother getting out of bed? Just let Lisa go pat him because it's not working. It was working. The, what you gotta realize is the enemy is such a formidable foe that he will allow you to jab him with that literal sword and keep coming back. He's like a little chihuahua. Those little chihuahuas, you know those little dogs that think they're Dobermans? They'll come up to your ankle and go, right? And you go, get out of here. You go, get out of here. And he keeps coming back. And then all of a sudden you've had it and you go, get out of here. I've never done that, okay? And what happens? He goes, because he realizes you are relentless and you are determined to get rid of him. That is the way you have to display it to the enemy, that you are relentless in your pursuit to see the kingdom manifested in your life, in your family, in your world of influence. Amen? We must be more determined to lay hold of our freedom than our adversary's quest for bondage or destruction. You know, I never forget the time a, a great man of God came to our church and he shared, you know, he he's basically ministers to the Indians in Mexico in the mountains. He was in this village and almost the whole village had been one to the Lord because of his ministry. One night they came pounding on his door. It was one of the parishioners, their little baby had just died. He said, please come and pray for our baby. So he got up, he rebuked the spirit of death. That little baby started coughing and sneezing and came back to life. Everybody was so excited, he thought, I'm going to bed now. So he went back to his house. A few minutes later, they're pounding at his door again. The baby's dead, the baby's dead. Do you know that man of God stood before us that night and said he had to raise that baby from the dead 16 times. He had to rebuke the spirit of death off of that baby. And do you know when he reported this to us, he said that baby is a normal child playing in that village now. 16 times. That's a persistent spirit right there. 
See, the thing is, are you going to be less relentless than the devil? Or are you going to be more relentless, especially when you got the weapons and he don't? Good preaching. Amen. I've often witnessed tragic losses people genuinely receive from God. And in days, weeks, and months, sometimes even years, they lose what they've received. We are instructed in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, hold on to what is good. Listen to the words, hold on to what is good. Every believer should ponder, know, and stand firm in this exhortation. I learned this early in my Christian walk. When I became a born again believer, I remember one of my friends took me to a meeting one night. Now you gotta understand, I'm not used to these kind of meetings that I was taken to. And I'm sitting in the audience and uh, I'm just listening to the speaker and all of a sudden the speaker said, you know, the Lord is showing me there is somebody here that has lower back pain and you really, really have wrestled with this for years and it's right down here and right down low and went on and on and all of a sudden I thought, I knew that person was me. And I thought, I'm not going up there. I'm, not, I'm used to Catholic mass. I'm not used to people doing this kind of stuff. And, and, and I, I thought, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting there and I know this woman's talking about me because most of my teenage years, I had unbelievable back pain. And I, I never forget, I used to get it from shaving and I'd have to hold my back like this and I'd, everything, okay? And, and I remember I thought, I'm not doing anything. And I remember, you know, she, she, she kept going. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, she goes, I can't shake this. There is somebody in this place tonight. You have lower back pain. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know he wants you healed. And I thought, oh, my goodness, she's back on it again. And I know it's me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going up there. So I went up. Well, she and her husband prayed for me. And I'm telling you, the pain just went like that. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. So for the next three weeks, I enjoyed a pain-free life. I remember when I would lean over the sink and get up from shaving, I'd go, oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. It was amazing. And I was loving it. One night I'm in my bed and my, my apartment was lit by a moon. Okay, there was a moon out that night. And I remember all of a sudden this presence comes into my room and I felt like the blood in my veins went to ice because this presence comes in and I'm not exaggerating. The room got dimmer. And all of a sudden, fear just grips me. And I notice there's the pain. I hadn't felt it in three weeks, but there it is. Now, I was a young believer and I had been immersing myself in the word of God. And I knew what was going on. And I will never forget it. I threw my sheets off my bed. I jumped up and I said, oh no, you don't. I got healed three weeks ago in that service and you are not putting this back on me. I'm holding fast to that which has been given to me. Now, the fear left, the pain left, and the room lit, lit up to where it was before that came in. And I've never had problems with my back since. Are you with me? Yes. Jesus said, keep safe what you have so that no one will rob you of your victory prize. That's Revelations 3.11. The new King James, he said, hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to it. We need to be relentless in holding fast what we've received from God. You know, one of the saddest stories I've ever witnessed is I saw a man. One night I was doing a service in a very large meeting. 
And this man was weeping profusely. I mean, just weeping, weeping. And I went over, the man could barely even talk. He's a really, really big, strong guy. He had had five surgeries and basically was in excruciating pain and God completely healed him that night. And I remember man seeing him a few weeks later and he was just, just beaming and bright eyed and just so excited about what God had done. Well, then a year went by and I saw him again and he didn't have that beaming look on his face. He said, well, it's all come back. And I began to tell him about what Jesus said about holding fast. And he said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. God's really teaching me something out of this. I mean, I'm really growing from this. You know, the man is really a great man. He's a very godly man. He's a good dad. He's a good husband. But it's so tragic. Because now what's happened is out of experience, a new theology has been birthed. Are you seeing this? You gotta hold fast to what Jesus has given us. I am so fed up with seeing people get genuinely healed in meetings. And then three weeks later, three months later, I hear that it's right back on them. Amen? You gotta resist him steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. It is impossible for you not to receive. It is God's will for you to always win. The Bible says in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Doesn't say the devil might flee away. You must know that the enemy is afraid of you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see who your friends see. He sees Christ because you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. So many have allowed their imaginations to puff up the power of the devil. The gist of what scripture communicates, it is impossible not to receive from God if you believe his word and stand against the opposing forces of darkness. It may be in the area of finances, wisdom, health, business, ministry, or most importantly, the ability to aid others. But if you fight with the sword of the Spirit, you'll come out on top every single time. Final word of caution. I've seen two extremes in the body of Christ in my 30 years of ministry. First extreme are those who are looking for a devil behind every bush. They've lost their gaze upon the master. My Bible says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. My concept is this. This is the way I've lived. I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, and if the devil gets him away, blast him and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't become one of those that are hunting for a devil beside every door. The other, which is a much larger group, are those who love God, but they ignore the enemy. The mindset is if I pay no attention to evil, it will eventually go away. That is such a lie. What you do not confront will not change. Do I need to say that again? What you do not confront will not change. You must resist him. Amen? Amen. The last thing James says is he says, be sober and be vigilant. What does sober mean? It means be serious, sensible, and solemn. The Greek says it is antithesis of being drunk on wine. It means to be of a sound mind. Do you know people that are drunk can be beat up so much easier? I'll never forget when I was in the world and I was at one of my parties and two of my friends were just plastered and they got in a fight over a girl. Now remember, this is when I was in the world. Christians don't do that. (laughs) And uh, I'll never forget this one guy just plummeted this other guy. And the the guy that beat the other guy was, was sober. He was more sober. The other guy was just drunk. 
If both those guys got in a fight when they were both sober, the guy that lost would have totally annihilated the guy that beat him. Because you're not as effective as a warrior when you're drunk. I don't think Peter is talking about just wine or alcohol. I think he's talking about not being drunk on the things of this world. There are people that get inebriated, drunk, plastered on the things of this world. It's anything in this life that can intoxicate us. It could be football games, it could be work, business, opposite sex, a sport, a hobby, a social network. It's anything we do in excess and draw our satisfaction from, over and above God himself. Jesus is to be our first love and our passion. We are to be intoxicated with his spirit. That's why Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the spirit. To keep it in proper balance, the Bible says that God generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. We are to enjoy recreation, clean entertainment, athletic competition, food, nature's beauty, and so forth. It's when we get intoxicated by it. Are you with me? The other thing is, the Bible tells us to be vigilant. When you're vigilant, that means you keep a careful watch for possible danger or difficulties. Another source says, ever awake and alert, sleeplessly watchful. You can't be vigilant if you're not sober. You cannot be vigilant if you're not sober. You have to be watchful. And I talk a lot about this in the book. Make sure that you read the book and get the wisdom that God gave in it. Did you get something out of this session? Did you get something out of this session? Amen.